You're listening to the Supertalk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Hello and welcome to the Supertalk podcast. We've got a great addition for you today as we hear from Jack Beetson from the Literacy for Life Foundation. Jack spoke to AIST staff during Reconciliation Week about the work that Literacy for Life do and the success they've had in improving adult literacy in Indigenous communities. We recorded that session and are pleased to present it to you here for a valuable insight into their work. This session was moderated by AIST CEO Eva Shearlink, and Jack was kind enough to take questions from AIST staff, all of which you will hear within. Uh, Jack gave us quite a bit of his time, so this podcast will be split into two episodes in order to fit everything in. We had a great response from the AIST staff who attended this session, and we hope you enjoy it too. Firstly, welcome. Everyone, and welcome especially to, to Jack Beetson, who is the Executive Director of Literacy for Life. So that's our new uh, charitable partner. So we're very excited. We would have really loved, obviously, to meet you and hear the story that you were going to tell us at <laughs> CMSF. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, be in the same room with you and be able to experience your, your fabulous energy. Um, so Literacy for Life obviously runs adult literacy campaigns. Uh, so it'd be very interesting, um, you know, to hear from you today and also to hear from you how, you know, sort of COVID-19 is impacting on communities and what it, yeah. what it is meant for, for the work that the, that the foundation is doing too. Yeah. Also like to acknowledge that no matter where we all are in our own individual homes around the country that we are meeting on Aboriginal land and um, pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and of course to you, Jack. Um, welcome and I'll hand it over to you if that's all right. Yeah, look, thanks very much. Um, look, I, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners wherever you all are and I also want to acknowledge my own people and Yimba people from Brewarrenum, which is in the far northwest of New South Wales. Maybe not many of you know much about Brewarrenum, but Brewarrenum is quite famous because of the Aboriginal fish traps in the river. Um, they're the, the oldest human construction on the planet out there. So if you ever get an opportunity, it's really worth a look. They're quite complex um, bit of engineering, I guess, um, in the river. But, um, yeah, look, I'll get straight into it. Yeah, we do. I, I'm the Executive Director of the Literacy for Life Foundation and we run adult literacy campaigns primarily in New South Wales, but we've just started a campaign last year out at... Santa Teresa near Alice Springs and we've got funding to commence a campaign up at Yarrabah which is just out of Cairns. It's a uh, what they call a discrete Aboriginal community. It's got its own shire down down the little place but it's a beautiful little spot right on the beach. <clears throat> we started the campaigns um, after I moved back to Australia from Indonesia and I was over in East Timor as part of living overseas, monitoring and evaluating the literacy campaign that was happening up there and it had a huge success. So when I came back to Australia, some friends asked would I be interested in applying for a pilot um, out at Royal Kenya to see if it would work out there. Now, the campaign model itself, the one we're using, originated in Cuba in 1961 and we're the first people to actually run it in a first world country. So globally... 10 million adults um, have become literate using this model. And an adult in a UN definition of an adult 
in a developing country or a third world country is 15 years and over. So we, we got the funding to do a pilot in Will Kenya. The beauty of the way we work is that local people do all the work. So the local Aboriginal people in the community have to do all, the, all of the work. So we train them to be teachers in the classroom. So Aboriginal people that have got a, a year 10 reading level can actually be teachers in the classroom. And the people that we're working with are people that are pre-level one in the Australian qualifications framework. So why we work with that group is that our success rate or our graduation rate in these uh, campaigns is around 64% on average and can be as high as 88, I think, is the highest graduation rate. And other private providers or TAFE providers of basic education are graduating people at a rate of 5 or 10% in the same space. So it's quite high comparatively. And when, when I've spoken to TAFE teachers, they said that the best thing about having you there is now when people enrol in level one, that they actually stay at TAFE. But prior to that, they were enrolling in level one because that's as low as you could go and they were dropping out because it was just too difficult. It started in the wrong place. So using this campaign model, we've had several people that only knew four or five letters in the alphabet that learned to read and write at a basic level, and I emphasise that, at a basic level, within 11 weeks. And then they do another 11 weeks of post-literacy activities, which is so that they use it or lose it. So we started in Will Canyon in 2012, and we've worked our way all the way up to Bogabilla Tumala on the Queensland border near Gundawindi. And the places that we've worked in, people have often said, Jack, government should be throwing money at you because no one wants to do anything in the towns you're working in. <laughs> a lot of people, even when I used to get off the plane in Moree to go to Gundawindi, I'd run into Aboriginal friends there and they'd say, oh, what are you doing up here? And I'd say, I'm going up to do some work at Toomala and they'd just go shake their heads and go, good luck with that, you know. So, But we went up there and the, the graduation rates were record-breaking in both those little towns. Now we've reached into Central Australia and we've been funded to do a campaign over three years out at um, a little community called Ginger Porter or Santa Teresa um, is the English name. And in Santa Teresa, we ended up with a almost a 90% graduation rate and four of those people ended up with traineeships in hairdressing and, and uh, in the, you know, the beautician area. The astonishing thing about that, when I first went out to meet with the community about doing it, they were showing us around and when they were talking about something and pointing something out to us, they'd have a little conversation in Aranda, their language, and then they'd talk about it in English. So they'd figure out among themselves what was the best way to talk in English to explain it to us. So when we got back to Alice Springs, I said to the team that was with me that we're going to be working out there doing the training to get the local people to do the work, I said, one of the biggest challenges you're going to have here is that nobody in this community thinks or dreams in English. Everything they do, including the dogs and the horses, they don't, they don't talk to them in English. So when we started the classes and I went back out again and one of our facilitators, a guy called Banjo, and he's a really lovely guy, Benjo, and he's a really good facilitator. And I said, Benjo, 
just out of curiosity, is English your fourth or fifth language? And he said, no, Jack, it's my ninth language. So here we had facilitators in a community teaching English literacy to people that English was their eighth or ninth language for most of them in that community. So to get a a 90% graduation rate was quite extraordinary. And why I'm talking about this is, Eva, because when we first talked, you said how in this COVID environment, how's this working? When they locked all the communities down up in the Territory, the community itself identified what essential services were that they wanted to stay, and we were one. So the aim of the adult literacy campaign is to change a a fundamental characteristic of a community which could, say now, be described as a community of low literacy to a community that values learning. Now, after one intake, a lot of the services had to leave the community and we were packing and thought, well, you know, we won't need to come back out. And they said, we want you to stay. What you're doing is essential moving forward for that community. So we had two workers, one from Cuba and one from Alice Springs, and I rang them up and I said, look, this choice is absolutely yours, but if we're to keep going in, in Ginger Porter or Santa Teresa, you're going to have to move out there, but if you don't, that's fine too. We just suspend it and come back later. And they said, Jack, we've already thought about it. We're moving out. <laughs> so, so they uplifted themselves out of Alice Springs and went and became in a lockdown in a community of 300 people. Now what they've been doing is working with the health clinic in getting the messaging out to community people. So they've been assisting with doing posters, short community uh, DVDs and videos or whatever so that they can get the message to community because there's no R in the word for COVID-19. <laughs> you know, so that doesn't exist. So they have to explain what it is in English too because the words to explain what it is don't exist in R and either or any other language, Pinjara or Wapri or whatever. So that's how they're actually contributing to what's going on. And I was talking to Ken Ken Wyatt. Ken rang me looking for someone's phone number and, and he, he was probably sorry he asked and he said, oh, how are things going out of Ginger Porter? <laughs> so I, I give him this whole thing about it's even more vital now that people are learning English than ever in this current environment. And it is more vital now because the, the, the health clinic that works out there, they, they came to us and they, obviously they, they're one of our partners and the health mob are always partners because the correlation between better health and literacy is just overwhelming evidence that, that things uh, work out better. But they came to us and said, look, we're really glad they asked you guys to stay because you can, you can now support us. To, to get the messaging out, so it's, so it's quite critical. And um, but what is critical <clears throat> when you think about adult literacy, and you, if you look at closing the gap, for example, one of the targets in closing the gap is not adult literacy, but evidence globally, regardless of where you are, tells you that if you don't have literate parents, and in particular literate mothers, you very rarely get literate children. Now that now that's the global evidence. Professor Marmot, and I forget which university he works for in Britain, but he, a year or so ago, talked about health interventions and he said one of the best health interventions we can make for our children is reading to them. When you think about that and you think, well, that sounds so simple, 
But when you're in communities that I'm working in, and, and I'll use my own community first, at least 70% of people in Brewarrina, which is in northwest New South Wales, 70% of the adults, 15 years and up, have very low English literacy. In Gingerporter or Santa Teresa, that's probably 95% of the Aboriginal community that have that. So how do they read to their children? How do they make that simplest of all interventions? To make that intervention, it's just about bringing around not even equity, but an, an improvement, you know, in, in people's health, people's well-being. But then we talk about getting jobs, which is a much more difficult thing. You talk about getting a licence. Without reading and writing, you, you can't get any of those. How many jobs require you either to, particularly in rural areas, require you to drive to work? If you can't read and write, you can't get your licence. What, what you're involved in and I'm involved with and, and, you know, in terms of being one of our sponsors now is this incredible thing that is actually making a huge difference to people's lives. What we do know now since 2012, because we've been independently monitored and evaluated, is that people have less interaction with the criminal justice system. Doctors have come to us anecdotally and said, since you've been in town doing this, people are actually coming to the clinic to get their health checked before they get sick rather than waiting till later. The police have said to us, you know, people, people are disengaging with us at a higher level now than they ever have since before you came. So it is impacting on people's lives. Now, in a town like Burke, when I went and talked to the magistrate there about the campaign and how we might, how they might support it, the magistrate said, Jack, you tell me what we've got to do and I'll do whatever it is that you say. He said, because 80% of people that come before the court in Burke come because, for driving offences. He said 90% of those people can't read and write. So that gives you an idea of the magnitude of the problem and how it affects everything all the way down the line. So in every every town we've been, what has happened, without fail, children's attendance at school has risen. So the, the participation rate of children going to school has improved dramatically. And that's actually what we're trying to achieve. Sure, individual people become literate, but we're actually trying to create that situation where people value learning. And that's when your whole life turns around. I've got a question, uh, Eva and, and Jack. Um, you, you talk uh, predominantly about what you're doing in rural New South Wales. Does the Literacy for Life also provide uh, a program in Sydney and other urban areas? Yeah, we actually did our first one in an urban area in um, Campbelltown um, last year, and that was funded by the Aboriginal Housing Office. And why they funded it is that when we were in Burke, they funded one intake into the campaign and what they did during that time was measure the impact in terms of maintenance and repairs on the houses and what because I've long argued and many other people have that when, when you learn to read and write you actually make better decisions in your life around every aspect of it and what uh, they found out there was that those people in the families that were engaged in the campaign had civic significantly less uh, money spent on maintenance and repairs in their homes. So 
they they went off and found the money and came to us and said, can you do a campaign in in southwest Sydney and and see what happens there? So that was our first one in a, a metropolitan area, and it was a huge success. How many? What's the difference in the numbers? I guess in terms of doing something in a in an urban area compared to a remote community. <clears throat> yeah, it's in a in a remote area. Because you in a town and the workers go out, like the local people that, that are working on the campaign, they go and pick everybody up every morning. So they'll knock on the door, get out of bed, you've got to come, and, and their parents will chase them out or the kids will chase their parents out to come to class. So it's a real, it's a camp, that's why it's a campaign, not a course, because you've got to get everybody in the community encouraging people to come all the time because it's very difficult Um Imagine only knowing two or three letters of the alphabet and then you're trying to learn it. This must be so difficult. Anyway, so people got to keep getting pushed out. And it was a real, it wasn't a concern, but we were interested in what challenges might present themselves in the city because to drive around and pick everyone up in Brewarna is, it's only 500 metres or 600 metres from one end of the town to the other, whereas in Campbelltown, um, <laughs> Aboriginal population is immersed in this other bigger population. So the homes are spread out, they're not in one little place and all that. But um, incredibly, um, the figures were the same. But we, we were, I mean, we were thinking, oh, this, this could really fall over. How do you get people to drive around in a 30 or 40 kilometre space, as a, or not a 30 or 40, but say a 10 kilometre space opposed to, you know, 500 metre space? Yeah. But it worked. It worked really well. And they're actually looking for money again now to keep us continuing in Campbelltown and to also start in um, Western Sydney out in Mount Druitt. Yeah, Jack, you mentioned that adult literacy isn't including kind of closing the gap. Is there? Do you get much support, I guess, from, from the government or as much the government is doing in that area as well? We don't get the sort of support we should be getting from government. When you're lobbying government through, say, say through the Department of Aboriginal Affairs or the NIAA now, when they see it as education, they say, well, really, we shouldn't fund this. The education department should. And they're right. They should. But the problem that we have is that our students are below the Australian core skills framework or qualifications framework. So we're below level one. We're pre-level one. So policy of the department is they use that qualifications framework to fund things. So if you're not in there, and I've even gone to government and said, look, I'm happy to write the policy for you so that we don't fall into this policy vacuum. Because, you know, I remember meeting now with successive education ministers and saying, this is your responsibility. And, and they said, yeah, but Jack, it's outside our, our, our framework, our guidelines for funding. And that's always the challenge. The, the other thing about us, and every time I, I get interviewed on the radio or the TV or anything about the campaign, every interviewer always says, why aren't they throwing money at you? This is so obvious, you know. <laughs> and they said, Jack, they just should be throwing buckets of money at you. Because at the end of the day, you can't, you can't even think about closing the gap if you don't know there is one. See, when you can't read and write or you, your, your English literacy is so low, 
like most of our clients are or students are, then they also don't have the analytical skills, you know. So they just think, well, that's how that mob lives and this is how we live. So they don't understand that there is a gap, you know. So how do you close it, you know. And it's absolutely impossible without, without literacy. And I would never argue that we prioritise adults over children. And everybody wants to invest in children and their education, and so they should. But the problem you've got is that if you don't do it in tandem and you're, you're educating adults at the same time, it really won't go very far. You have to have the adults being educated at the same time because at the end of the day, it's the adults that are making the, children, uh, the decisions here and now for their children. And they won't make good decisions if they uh, have low literacy. Thank you for listening in to this episode of the Super Talk podcast and to Jack Beetson for his time. Don't forget to listen to the second part of this episode where Jack expands on some of the stories and themes discussed in the episode. We also hear a bit more about what motivates him and who his idols are. Until next time, bye for now.